Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, welcome to another edition of American Potential. Thanks for joining us. Always trying to bring you stories of people breaking barriers, particularly government-imposed barriers. And we have a great one for you today. You know, because of COVID and people being at home more, in 2020, people started taking up more hobbies. And some people just kept those things as a hobby, but others turned their love for cooking or arts and crafts into a business. And today's podcast guest is one of those people who turned her new skill of baking sourdough bread into a porch pickup business. But because she's a cottage food baker, she had some limitations put on her business. Now, Ginny Berg owns Crumb Sourdough Micro Bakery, which is located in the state of Oregon. And this year, Oregon passed a bill that will now allow her micro bakery to grow and have her sourdough creations introduced to a much wider audience. Jenny Berg is our guest on today's episode, and she's going to talk about her micro bakery as well as the work she did to help get this bill passed. Uh, Jenny, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and speak with you today. So, uh, first and foremost, I have, you know, I always try and, and get a, a kind of a fun fact about, about folks. And I'm pretty anxious to hear this one uh, because I, and I don't know really the question to ask. All it says is the Legends of the West stamp story. So I got to hear that first and foremost. <laughs> sure. Well, had this uh, story gone a different direction, I probably wouldn't be sitting with you here today, <laughs> okay. is how profound this is. Uh, back in 1994, um, the U.S. Postal Service released a new stamp series called Legends of the West, and it featured 20 heroes of the West, cowboys, famous cowboys um, like Kit Kodak and Rodeo, um, cowboys and so forth. I think there was even maybe Annie Oakley on there. And this was right around Christmas time. And I went into the post office here in Bend and they, you know, present you with the the new stamp releases. And, and I was drawn to this legends of the West. So I bought four sheets of these stamps and back then they were the lickable Mm -hmm. kind of stamps, which is okay. an important, that's an important fact to remember right. here Got in it. this story. Got it. So I was going to use these stamps on my Christmas cards and, and that kind of stuff. So um, I get home, I, I put my stamps away in my, my little office there. And um, uh, one of the images on the stamps, which was quite unusual, happened to be a black cowboy and his name was Bill Pickett. And he was very famous in the rodeo scene. Um, and actually invented steer wrestling. I mean, he he's like in the Hall of Fame of, of cowboys. And so I thought that was intriguing because, you know, you don't see a black cowboy very often. Right. So I put my stamps away. And about two days later, I go into my office and I see on the floor all of my stamps chewed up into tiny little pieces. Uh -oh. Well, my cat had a, an affinity for chewing paper. And especially, I think she loved the stamps with the flavor, the lickable flavor on the back. <laughs> sure. So she ate all my stamps. Oh no. So about, yeah. So about, I guess it was maybe two weeks after that, I go get the 
it was the Oregonian newspaper at the time off the driveway, a Sunday paper. And I sit down and I open it up. And on the front page is a headline story about how the Postal Service screwed up the picture oh, no. of Bill Pickett. <laughs> and it's the first time in 147 years that the Postal Service had put the wrong image on a stamp. Whoa. And oh, no. <laughs> he's all of a sudden, and Bend was the only town at the time they thought had released, had sold any stamps prematurely oh, by my accident. Goodness. And I paid cash. <laughs> they couldn't track me. The, you, the government was scrambling to get these stamps back. Uh-huh. They were going to destroy them. Yes. And, um, but they couldn't find me, obviously. Well, anyway, long story short, were these stamps were purposely going at auction for a million dollars. I had three or four of them. I bought that many sheets. I can't remember oh, wow. exactly how many. Oh my goodness. And my cat, my cat ate them. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. And so that <laughs> I literally thought I was going to have an aneurysm when I saw it. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> That's an amazing story. It is. So and- anyway, yeah. I mean, that that cat, I'm telling you, you must have loved that cat to let it survive that story, right? I was pretty ticked. Yeah, I was ticked at her for a little while, but it was it was just meant to be. It was just one of those things where I thought, you know what? Here I had like $3 million in my office in, in a, sta- oh, a rare, now a very rare stamp. That is crazy. Um, so that was pretty wild story. It's a, it's a fun story to tell at parties, you know? Yeah. So, so. You th- did you send? You didn't even send one of those stamps. Like you didn't even lick one and send it to someone else. You just—that's interesting. I did use a few of them, and I couldn't recall uh-huh. uh, if I had used that the Bill Pickett uh-huh. stamp. Right. Um, so I called some relatives, and of course they were like, "I don't know. I threw that envelope <laughs> <I> away. <laughs> Good luck." <laughs> wow. But, yeah, and what I a think story. eventually. The, the the postal service ended up not destroying them after all, and they resold them to the public at just over face value. Yeah, and and so they weren't eventually going to go for a million dollars. They were more like in the several thousand. Sure. Mark, well, but, still though, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't. But, I wouldn't be happy if my cat ate several thousand dollars <laughs> worth of, you know hundred dollar bills or whatever. So yeah, no, yeah. It, it was pretty amazing. I just thought, you know, I guess it was not my path. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a great story. That's a great story. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for sharing it with us. Oh, you're um, welcome. Well, listen, tell us a little bit about, about your bakery, first of all. Well, sure. Yeah. So uh, during the pandemic, you were right. I was sent home from my full-time job and um, I saw a friend of mine post on social media. She had just made her first sourdough bread. And and sourdough was something I would always uh, had been intrigued by. So I reached out to her and, you know, it's pretty intimidating though. Um, I think anybody you ask who's contemplated getting into it, it's, you know, there's a big responsibility. It's you got to keep the starter alive and feed it. And I mean, can you go on vacation? What do you do? Do you bring it with you? I mean, it's like having a, a living being. Yes. And it's, it's like having something- a cat. It's like having a cat. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, except it won't eat your stamps, but it, 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 it'll right. get you in other ways. That's right. Uh, you know, do you really, you don't want to go into sourdough lightly, really. And um, anyway, she gave me encouragement. She made it sound pretty doable. And I ended up um, purchasing dried sourdough through, a, believe it or not, a sourdough archiver in mm. San Francisco. So this particular 
variety was 150-year-old dried sourdough starter out of San Francisco. So that was where the journey began. And I just started playing around with it and reading as much as I could, finding um, influencers and bakers and buying sourdough books and learning. And about a year later, um, after giving a lot of the bread away and Mm -hmm. eating it ourselves, I just was getting a lot of positive feedback uh, from coworkers and friends. And I thought, you know, why not? Why not just try seeing if I can sell this? Um, And that's was where the idea to start the business started. That was actually in February of 2021. Um, so it had been a, almost a whole year of just sort of like mm-hmm. messing around with baking it and yeah. boy, was there a learning curve with it, but I got to a point where I felt comfortable. Like I could, I could ask money for this. Right. Um, so I started the, I started the business and that's when I discovered how restrictive Oregon food laws are right. for what I was looking to do. Yeah. Um, what, what did you do before you started baking sourdough bread? What, before 2020, what did you do? Uh, well, before 2020, uh, we, my husband retired and I sort of retired with him and we moved uh-huh. to Arizona. Um, but prior to that, I've been in publishing. I've been an editor for a local magazine here in town. Uh, that was years ago. Um, when I was laid off, I was working at an appliance um, store here in town. Mm-hmm. And we were actually considered essential during the pandemic. So I was able to do some part-time work from home. And maintain employment there. Um, gosh, I've done web design. I, I, I actually in the nineties, I, I made jam and sold my jams and jellies at Saturday markets and, um, craft shows around here. So I guess I've always had kind of a little entrepreneurial bug in me to, you know, kind of branch out and and do something on my own and be totally responsible for myself. Yeah. Well, that's great. So so you opened this uh this bakery and what what were some of the regulations that you faced that kind of limited what you could do Sure well here in Oregon um there are basically two directions you can go as a home baker uh one is become completely licensed and under the scrutiny of the Department of Agriculture and they come and inspect your kitchen and your kitchen has to be up to certain standards and that would have been great for me, but for the fact we have pets, um, actually a, a new cat now. <laughs> and two Got dogs. rid of the old one, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't say how that happened. <laughs> oh, no, let's not. <laughs> just kidding. No, she lived a nice long life. Okay. Uh, so as a domestic kitchen baker, a licensed here in Oregon, you cannot have pets. So mm-hmm. to my delight, though, we had something passed in 2016 called the um, home baking exemption law or the cottage food law, uh, where it was still pretty vague if you could have pets in your home. It didn't say you couldn't and it didn't say you could. So I went, I erred on the side of that I could. And uh, it was a very loose law, but pretty restrictive at the same time. So I just went that direction. Um, and I'm not inspected by the Department of Agriculture. And I, I have pets, obviously, in the home. And um, per the law, uh, you know, I'm, I'm restricted to selling in certain venues and how I sell and how much. So it was kind of a trade-off, um, you know, either get rid of the pets and get licensed, which wasn't going to happen. Right. Or, you know, settle for really like this would just be a, 
a hobby with a little bit of income, mm-hmm. which sort of was not a great deal for me. And that, and that was frustrating. Yeah. So that got the wheels going on. How can this change? Right. And, and there were restrictions on how much you could make right off of, uh, mm-hmm. off of the, the bakery as well. Yes. Oregon currently until the new law goes into effect, we are tied with another state as having the lowest sales cap, which is $20,000 gross sales. That's before expenses. Wow. Um, that's not even a poverty wage after you pay sure. your taxes by your equipment and your supplies and, and everything. So, um, so that was, that was rough $20,000 sales cap. Right. Um, and then, <clears throat> so other restrictions were our, you know, we can't engage in wholesale, we can't ship our products. And a big one is not engaging in e-commerce or having a shopping cart on my website. Wow. I mean, n- none of this has anything to do with food safety. No. It's just very arbitrary to kind of keep it, you know, very, you know, unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's really protectionism, right? Government sponsored protectionism. It's protecting uh, big grocery stores and others from, you know, mom and pop shops and, and those who want to do home baked goods too. So uh, definitely. Yeah. So, so Oregon had a lot. Let's talk about that uh, or, or, or has recently passed this uh, Senate Bill 643. Talk talk about that. How did you find out that there was legislator working on this uh, th- this issue and this SB 643? Sure. Well, there were no legislators working on this issue. So um, you're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my husband, I, I think I had like a semester of political science in high school, and I said, how do you how does a new law, how do you get a bill to become a law, <laughs> right? Isn't there like a song, right. a poem that kids recite? Right. How a bill becomes a law. And uh, it was just about that. It was fortuitous about the same time. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, David Crable who runs another podcast and a website called Forager. And he's kind of the cottage food guru for the entire country. Okay. And I, uh, in a newsletter... I received from him, it talked about California having reformed drastically their cottage food laws. And there were some great resources in there, um, including uh, two organizations, the Cook Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization that uh, wants to legalize homemade food and have food freedom. And then there's the Institute for Justice, uh, which is another nonprofit public law firm. And they they went to battle for Californians. And so I I just reached out to those two agencies, connected with the people there, and they set me on the path. Um, I started gathering a coalition of other Oregon cottage food operators. We created a closed group on Facebook, and we just started emailing legislators. And we heard back from many of them, uh, but one in particular stepped up to the plate, Senator Tim Canope, and said, I will sponsor your bill. I believe in what you're doing. And my father was a baker and I support small business. So he was our champion. And so with his help and, and the Institute for Justice and other cottage food operators, we, over the course of the year, just went to work on getting this, this law changed. And we told the Institute for Justice what the things we wanted to see changed. And they put that into language into the bill. 
and yeah. worked with the senator staff. And it was a great learning experience, um, but they did a lot of the, you know, the foot soldier work. on Right. Well, you know, I love it. this story because it's, it's such a great example of, I mean, you were a person who, you know, you weren't a lobbyist. You didn't have really any background in how to, how to get government to, you know, pass a law or you, you just were an average ordinary person, right? Who came across this mm-hmm. and said, well, this affects me, but it's also affecting other people in Oregon. And that's what I always love about stories we tell on this podcast is that it's people who are willing to step up, but they don't do it just for themselves. They do it for themselves, but they also correct it for, you know, everybody who else who is facing that same issue in that same mm-hmm. state or community. And uh, that that's what's just such a great story is that you went and did this and, you know, it's a success story. You, you, you got the law changed and affected change and you just were an average everyday ordinary citizen. Your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you that if you can connect with the right people and you have that inherent desire to, you know, want to roll up your sleeves and make a change. If you're not happy with something in the legal system in your state or your jurisdiction, I mean, we're not helpless. I mean, there are people out there to team up with you and help you to make a change. Um, or you can educate yourself and I'm sure do it on your own too. Now that I know what I know, um, you know, I, I wanted to introduce some new bill. I, I kind of know the procedure now. Right. Uh, it's not so scary. And, and it was fascinating to, see how you know our government our state government works and attending the hearings um virtually and and just being proactive and there's there's a lot of pride in that as well and yes and just seeing the community of other bakers in our state and reading the testimony that they submitted throughout is so moving i mean it brings you to tears to hear these personal stories of why these people started a cottage food operation and why they can't do something more, you know, like right. get licensed or, I mean, so this was their option. And we want to give everybody that opportunity that America, you know, promises right. that we can do as business people, self-employed business people. Yeah. And and you really built a community around this. I mean, that, that as you mentioned, you use social media and other ways to kind of build a community around this, which is great. Now you went and testified this was your first time ever testifying. I, I, I assume mm-hmm. how, how did you feel as you were going in? I imagine you had a little bit of nerves. Yeah, there were some nerves for sure. It, wonderfully though, I didn't have to leave my house. I could, <laughs> I didn't have to go to Salem. Yeah. I, everything was, um, was virtual. Right. So, I mean, they could see my face, the, the committees, um, I was probably on some, you know, jumbotron in their office or something <laughs> in their in their room. But yeah, so it was I was nervous, but I was prepared. And I think when you are passionate enough about something and you know enough about your subject, your the nerves just sort of melt away. Sure. I mean, what you're advocating for becomes bigger right. than your fear on you know, speaking or public yeah. speaking. No, so. your cat, your cat didn't come eat your notes or anything, right? Before, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Okay. Our new cat vomits. We call her the cereal puker. But other than that, no, <laughs> oh, doesn't boy. eat anything. Yeah, well, no, that's good. That's good, good. Good cat overall. Yeah. Improvement, improvement. There, um, yes. So, other than testifying, I assume you also had to talk to 
to lawmakers, right? Yes. So we had Zoom meetings with um, with Senator Canope, uh, wrote a lot of emails uh, to all of the uh, the committee members, both in the Senate and the House. Um, so there was a lot of legwork in it. And sometimes it was like, you know, the Institute for Justice would say, all right, got to got to get this email going. And it, overnight, we had to become activists. You know, we all were sort of on call. And so the beauty of the Facebook group is you can you can rally everybody in a in an instant. And right. uh, the feedback was is the the legislators received hundreds of emails, not only from us, but we recruited our customers as well and got a lot of support from our customers who love what we're all doing and don't right. want to see us go away and want to sure. see us flourish. Yeah. And, and you know, that's often a great point. Uh, people think that this is, they, they hear about a story like this and they think it's, it's a person and there's just a few people who are impacted, you know, people who want to bake at home or, you know, have a home bake, a baking business or whatever. But, but it isn't, it's all the customers that enjoy their product who are being denied that product when, when you've got a bill that's limiting or when you've got a, a law that's limiting their ability to produce this product, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's really stopping consumers from having that choice as well. And that's a real important part of this story too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the presumption is with these restrictions that are, again, have no bearing on food safety of, and we're talking shelf stable foods. We're not allowed to sell things that require temperature control. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really nothing that goes bad with shelf stable. It just goes stale. So, um, the, the restrictions in the law are presuming that consumers are kind of in some way, you know, stupid and can't make an informed decision. Um, yeah, they know I baked it here in my house. They can read my labeling. I'm required to have specific language on my label that I'm not in a licensed kitchen. This is a homemade product. I'm not inspected. So yeah, you take it or not. I mean, leave it up to the customers and the consumer to make that decision, not government. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. So now that this bill has passed, uh, I know you can't speak for everyone out there, but I'm sure they have several or very similar stories, but how will this, this bill help your business grow? It's going to be wonderful for so many reasons. Um, the income cap or the sales cap has been raised to 50,000. We asked for unlimited, like a lot of other States currently have, I think 33 other States have unlimited sales, but we had enough of opposition um, that the committee decided, well, we better still have a cap. So it's 50,000, which is better. Yeah. Um, but the big point f- for me, and I don't know about other bakers, um, but the pet allowance is now, whether you're licensed domestic kitchen baker or a cottage food operator, we can all have pets in the home now, just mm-hmm. not in the f- food preparation area. So I think a lot of us now are going to then take that step and become licensed. And then we have no restriction on income. Um, We'll be inspected, but we will have greater opportunity for wholesale avenues. Um, We can sell in many different venues. I mean, we're a lot less restricted. Yes, we will be inspected and that kind of thing. But um, that's just so now cottage food is a great stepping stone to become licensed. And I think Mm -hmm. the state is excited about that because that's more money for them (laughs) when we have to get a license. Um, right. and, and, so, and all, were all the internet 
you know, website things removed, all of those kinds of things you can, can you advertise yes. on a website now? We can. I can have a shopping cart. This is all effective in 2024. I'll be able to have a real shopping cart on my website. Um, I can sell wholesale to retail stores and coffee shops, but not restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can, instead of having, we're required now to have our home addresses on our labeling, which is a safety risk. There have been incidents in other states of uh, some rape and just unsavory things with having our home address on the label. Um, we can now replace that with a unique a unique ID. Um, and then we can all have pets in the home. We have to state on the labeling that there could be a pet allergen because there are pets in the home. So again, just more kind of labeling disclosure. Yeah. Um, and the ID number will be traceable. Um, if there is ever a problem with foodborne illness, but again, with shelf stable foods, there's not really any significant incidents of foodborne illness yeah. across the country, across the board. Right. It's really hard to get sick on cookies and bread. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, I don't know. I, I can get pretty sick on cookies, but it's just from eating too many of them. But, you know, what can I say? I, I hear you. Yeah. So, so Jenny, I, I know I don't want to talk necessarily specifically about Oregon, but this is a great story in that, you know, you saw this issue, decided to take it up. And so many people just, you know, say, oh, well, the government won't let me do it. And so they give up and they go do something else. And I guess I would just ask you to encourage other people, maybe in other states or other places you know, why this is so important when you see something like this to to take action, um, go out and, and do it because you really, I mean, truly, you didn't just help yourself. You helped, you know, lots of other people in your, your state. Why is that important to to want to be involved and to, to make change like this? Well, yeah, I think I've heard from so many people all around the country um, through my Instagram account where I'm promoting, you know, keeping everybody apprised of what's going on in Oregon. And I got a lot of inquiries, a gal in Georgia, you know, kind of frustrated with their sales cap. It's important to know that it's, it's doable. And, you know, our state governments work for us. And so, yes, I mean, it's, you don't have to move a mountain to try to get something done. It may not happen in the year uh, you are working towards new law reform. I kept, getting told it be patient, be patient. This could be a years long process. So don't give up, start the ball rolling, connect with the right people that will help you and guide you and teach you. Yes. They're, they're going to empower you or they're not going to do the work for you. Um, but just to know that it is definitely doable to get law reform. And it's important because it creates, you know, economic strength in the communities. If the less restrictions that we can have on small business, has such a ripple effect in in your community and your state. Um, it's empowering. Mostly, cottage food operators are women of of uh, modest income and children at home, and um, so it's it's female empowering. There are a lot of men who are you know do coffee roasting, and they're allowed to to do their cottage food um, sales now under our new reform. So it's just open the doors wide open. And I, I just think you're going to see communities and consumers uh, thriving under less restriction, letting people make their own decisions on what they're going to be ingesting, 
and support the local farmers and the and the home maker home bakers. Um, we call them hyper local, you know, creating um, food for for communities and consumers love it. Um, they, I have people that won't buy sourdough bread anywhere else than from me. They can eat sourdough for the first time where they've been either gluten intolerant or um, completely. Um, oh gosh, what's the um, glycemic, or excuse me, the, um, the disease, celiac disease. Oh, celiac, excuse me. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. I, uh, so I do have a, a couple of celiac um, customers who can finally eat bread. So I, it's just a win-win for everybody to have yeah. less restriction, to, you know, step up. And I, again, don't think you can do, do it on your own. There are people out there that can help. Uh, guide you through the whole yeah. process. Now you don't, uh, because this bill goes into effect in 2024, you may not have a website yet. Is that, do you have a website where people can learn more about mm-hmm. your business or not? Oh, do yes. I've always had a website. Well, let us know. Um, what's that? Okay. What's that address? <laughs> it is crumbsourdoughmicrobakery.com. C-R-U-M-B, kind of right? Yes. Yes. C-R-U-M-B. Great. Um, crumb is actually the pattern and the size of the holes inside of sourdough. Oh, okay. By the way, it's, it's actually a technical term. So awesome. yeah, yeah. Well, great. It's not just the, the crumb falling off your bread. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah, so people well, can go there and in 2024, I'll be able to ship. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at seeing if that's going to be interstate or just within Oregon or, um, that's still up in the air, but yeah, it's, it's going to really open up some more doors for well, all of us. As I, as I told you before we started the interview, I love sourdough bread. It's like my favorite bread that there is. So I'm going to hit your website and I'm going to have to wait till 2024. And if you can't ship outside of Oregon, I may have to come to Oregon and get some of your sourdough bread, but I, I will make yeah. sure that I have some at some point. Oh, I would love to. And, and I will even give it to you for free. How's that? <laughs> um, well, we'll see. We'll see about that. I'd love to support you your business. So. Okay. Good tip. Well, you get a good tip. That Thank sounds great. You. Jenny, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. And I uh, have enjoyed the, the entire process and sharing what's going on in Oregon. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And and listen, if you're listening to this story, th- this is a great example of how you can get involved. And I just, like I said, I just love stories like this where ordinary citizens just say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It isn't as hard as you think to get involved. And as Jenny mentioned, you know, she had a, she had a, a state legislator who took up the cause for her. many of these state legislators. They want to pass good legislation and they're, they're waiting to hear from you. So you've got to be able to do that, organize a community, get in in a grassroots way and get legislation passed. So if you have a great story like Jenny's, we'd love to hear it. You can send me an email at jeff at americanpotential.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube at American Potential. And just want to really thank you for joining us on this episode and listening to another episode of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.